Hey, you are listening to OCAP Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, you guys, welcome. So today I wanted to talk about a mishmash of topics. I wanted to start with my aha moments about sleep. If you are new to my podcast, you may not know this, but I am a sleep whore. Like I sleep, 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 sleep. I must talk about sleep almost every episode because it is so important and we throw it under the bus regularly. And I do understand that as parents of young children, you are lacking in sleep and that cannot be avoided. I understand that, but we can do some things to help our sleep. But I wanted to run you through like personal story here with my sleep and why I think I had that nasty cold for so long, right? Kind of for like almost eight weeks, like maybe six weeks. It was crazy from Thanksgiving to like January 6th. <laughs> I just kind of couldn't shake this cold. And I thought it was like stress because, you know, my mom was in and out of the hospital. But then I realized because I fixed a whole bunch of sleep things, I realized, oh my God, I was sleeping like crap. And sleep has everything to do with your immune function. So if you're underslept chronically, especially, or you're getting like really low grade sleep chronically, that's going to affect your immune system. Now, the reason I wanted to tell you guys this now is because I seem to be in the position of being a trendsetter. So I had the nasty cold. And I mean, I know everybody was really kind of sick, but now I see a second round of it. So I think with this winter, RSV, these like upper respiratory things, not COVID, but upper respiratory seem to be sweeping the nation. And so we really want to safeguard our immune system as much as humanly possible. So the first thing that happened with me in sleep, so I work out a lot. I noticed that my neck, like, you know, those two muscles on the side of your neck, my neck was like sore. And granted, I work out, I do a lot with my body, but I don't remember any particular thing that would have stressed these muscles out, but I kind of almost lost full range of motion in my neck. Like I couldn't turn my neck fully both ways. I get a massage. I go to the chiropractor. Nothing was really helping. Then I go to the dentist and the dentist reminds me that I am a grinder and a clencher. And for years, I resisted a night guard because, I don't know, oh, because it's out of pocket and they're like $500. <laughs> and so I resisted one. And then finally, I had a dentist, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, tell me that my teeth look like a 96-year-old woman's and that if I don't stop grinding and clenching and get a night guard, that my teeth will kind of disintegrate and turn to dust. And I was like, okay, all right, fine. I'll pay the money. <laughs> so I got a night guard, loved it. And then my dog ate it, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I had gotten kind of a cheap one that they have at the, you know, just at the drugstore till I got another maid. And I was like, not wearing that one. So my dentist was like, dude, you're not wearing a night guard anymore, are you? And I was like, oh, I kind of forgot about it. And she goes, you have to wear it. So she got me a new one and I started wearing my night guard again and that pain went away. So that neck pain went away. But what I didn't realize was how much that neck pain and the grinding was affecting my sleep because then I started sleeping really well. Well, semi-well. The next thing in this sleep domino puzzle, <laughs> so you guys are going to crack up. So, you know, I moved to my little cottage and I built myself a bed because I needed a bed that was high enough to fit like good-sized bins underneath, right? Because I have no storage. So I built it 
I don't build things, you guys. Like I really don't build things at all. So I got like a do-it-yourself YouTube video. I made it higher than the video suggested. But you know, I'd say about three months ago, my bed started to creak because I don't build things and I'm sure I didn't build this well. And there were plenty of bins underneath my bed. So should my bed collapse, I wasn't going to fall, but it was creaking and it got so bad. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Now we are planning an addition and I was going to do like a custom build, you know, sort of like a platform bed with cupboards underneath in my new bedroom in the addition, but the addition's not breaking ground for another few months. And this creaking, I noticed it would kind of subtly wake me up. I'd roll over and it'd wake me up. So I was like, oh man, I got to do something about this. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't fix it because I don't fix things either. <laughs> I don't build and I don't fix. <laughs> I potty train and I parent. <laughs> so then the next puzzle piece that I put together is I kept waking up. Like my bed is in a corner. It's against the wall, right? In a corner. And I kept waking up with my nose against the wall, like my body thin, 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 thin against the wall. And I realized my mattress had a slight sag in it. Nothing visible to the human eye, but enough that my body in my sleep was avoiding that because it was so uncomfortable. So I was like, oh shit, okay. So I have a Tempur-Pedic mattress, so they don't flip. So I couldn't flip it, but I turned it around. But that didn't help because I think the sag was coming from the platform bed that I built that I shouldn't have built. (laughs) It was creaking. So I had this massive bed problem, right? And it it came to my attention that it just kind of, the sag kept getting worse. The creaking kept getting worse. And I was like, I've got to do something. I cannot wait for the addition. I've got to do something. Now, mind you, the biggest problem with my house is I have this tiny stairway that is like, I mean, think of um, old houses with like attic stairways. I don't know if you've ever seen New England houses, but very narrow stairway with a turn, very high, narrow steps. And it'd be almost impossible to get something cool up my stairs. My Tempur-Pedic, we were able to get up with three guys shoving it up the stairway because it has a little bit of bend to it. But any other mattress solution is probably not going to work. So now I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Do I wait for the addition? This problem needs to be solved. So finally I said, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll just cut the platform bed. I'll store the bins. We built a shed out back. I'll store the bins in the shed and I'll just have a platform bed on the ground. I'll look at mattress options. And a friend of mine like researches everything non-toxic. And I decided to bite the bullet and go like fully non-toxic, organic, you know, spend the money because I spend so much time sleeping. I was like this, come on, it's time to not dick around with shitty mattresses. Time to get a good one. And so we were going through options and I was like, oh, I'm worried about my stairway. And she said, you know, hey, do you like futons? Because there's some really reasonable futons. And I remember back in my 20s, I would get the best sleep on just a, a futon. I like a really hard, I don't like squishy mattresses. I don't like coil mattresses. So I thought, let me look into that. So I got this organic wool futon pad, sleeping pad. And it has like a latex interior with organic wool and organic cotton. I was like, oh my God, a wool bed. That'd be so great. So I get that. I have my night guard and my bed is not sagging now because I am not in a crappy built bed. (laughs) So this all came about about six days ago and I have been sleeping the sleep of the dead. And when I tell you, I don't think it's any any secret that this is when all of a sudden I woke up and first of all, I feel great. Like my sickness is gone and I feel amazing, but I have been waking up almost superhuman. Like I'm scaring myself. It's almost like I have had five cups of coffee and I don't know what else. 
my brain is back. I can do so much during the day. It just rammed home for me. I was like, oh my God, my poor sleep was contributing to this sickness, but it was also contributing to just sort of a nothing you would notice, an imperceptible degradation of my (laughs) brain and my spirit and my soul. So anyway, I wanted to open with that because you know I love sleep and I can't believe of all the people, I let my sleep slide to such an intense degree (laughs) that I was getting such poor sleep and it makes such a difference. I cannot tell you just how great I feel. So make sure you're not a grinder or a clencher. And if you are, get a night guard. It helps so, so much. Check your mattress. Make sure it's not sagging. Flip your mattress, change your mattress, do whatever you got to do for your mattress. <laughs> and if you're not a builder, maybe don't build your own bed. Maybe maybe have somebody else build your bed. <laughs> so those are my sleep lessons. All right. So I wanted to expand a little bit going off my episode about how I eat and train. Since that episode was released, I've been seeing everywhere balance your hormones. And I literally saw a supplement company that I know, I'm not going to call them out. I know they cater to like the gym bro. It's like pre-workout drinks with like fake sugars in them. You know, it's just, it, I'm sure they're high quality products, but I don't like supplements like that, like protein shakes and, you know, all these different kinds of shakes that take, taste like chocolate chip cookies and, you know, frosted cupcakes. I, I don't have use for those in, in my diet. But they had, I saw an ad on Instagram. It was like, start your new year with balanced hormones with this product. And I was like, what? Like, when did you get into the endocrine system? And when did you get into balancing hormones? And I realized just like there are parenting buzzwords, there are quote unquote health buzzwords or diet buzzwords, or I, I guess I'd put it under health, but it's really an industry and it's not health. And buzzwords come along and people start using them. I know like, oh my God, like let's even look at gluten-free. What happened with gluten-free products? Like people were like, oh, I'm gluten-free. Like that automatically makes you healthy. Gluten-free is good for you if your body reacts to gluten. (laughs) It's not a health food. And oftentimes when you take out the gluten, you have to add more sugar because you take away the yummy stickiness, right? Gluten is glue in Latin. (laughs) So it's the stickiness of the dough that makes it airy and delicious. And so when you take that out, you've got a pretty flat product. And a lot of times you have to add more sugar just to make it more palatable. So that was a huge, huge buzzword. Organic is a huge buzzword, right? Oh, it's organic. Yeah, you can have organic cheese puffs, you guys. That's, it drives me nuts at Whole Foods. It's like organic cheese puffs. Organic is a farming practice, it doesn't make a food automatically healthy. And you might argue, well, yeah, this is healthier than Cheetos. Yeah, but it's still crap. So it's one of those like smack it on a product and it's great. And we know there's all kinds of weird buzzwords with nutrition, like chicken eggs. You have to be so careful because they can say cage free, but the chickens are still rammed into a tiny yard, you know, all on top of each other and it's wicked gross. So cage free just means they don't have an individual cage. It doesn't mean like they're out to pasture, you know? And I know like inflammation has become a buzzword too. Like, oh, uh, my inflammation, my inflammation. And these words get like misunderstood and mishandled. And people often use them as a way to justify a dietary choice or 
to justify weight loss or obsessive eating, you know, I'm watching my, my inflammation, or I think it's one of those things that where diet culture can kind of take over where people aren't really managing their inflammation. They're just using a buzzword to kind of cover up some disordered eating or to appear healthy. You know, anybody who's eating sugar and says they're managing their inflammation is lying because sugar causes inflammation. <laughs> so these words, you know, they start to lose their meaning or they're like to sell products, right? And you'll see manufacturers put these on products labels because they become the thing. And I talked about that in that episode, like heart healthy is just crazy. Like Lucky Charms is heart healthy. Yeah. Okay. Sure. It's good for you. Whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> but I just realized that balancing hormones, I think because we have a huge menopausal population that's coming. And what we know is, you know, what do they say? Forties are the new thirties. Like we know, like, look, dude, look, I'm 54. I don't look like my grandmother looked at 54. So we know women are taking better care of themselves. And so I think menopause is coming to like a huge forefront in a way that it never really had. And we're loud and we want answers. We want answers why our hormones are imbalanced, right? So I think balancing hormones has become this huge buzzword. And so people will often ask me or say something about, well, I'm balancing my hormones or my hormones are balanced. And I, I always say like, oh, really, which ones? And most often people don't have an answer. So I think balancing hormones is key. It is very key. It's key to longevity. It's key to metabolic health. And it is key to a fairly pleasant menopause. Like I'm actually having a very pleasant menopause, <laughs> but going through menopause gracefully and with ease will help as well. But also your hormones are in charge of so many other things that I wanted to dip my toe into this with you guys, just to give you again, like some broad strokes that we can either dig into, or just in case you were unaware, because when we talk about balancing hormones, very often we mean our sexual reproductive hormones, right? Your estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. And those definitely need to be imbalanced, particularly when we're talking about menopause or your reproductive health. But when we talk about overall metabolic health, we want to look at the big players. There's over 200 hormones in the body, so we're not going to fine tune them all. But there's a cascade that happens. And when one gets out of balance, it can shoot down the whole line and wreck everything. And so I wanted to touch on some of the big ones and what I do to balance them and sort of mitigate any hormonal imbalance or damage. I think hormones, you can get them tested. And I would advise that if you're feeling off. I actually kind of had a little argument with somebody online. Inadvertently, I didn't mean to. I don't like to argue with people online. But somebody was telling me that I needed hormone replacement even if I was not feeling any symptoms of menopause. And I was going to regret attempting to do it naturally. And I was like, well, what? I didn't quite understand her stance because I would definitely seek out hormone replacement therapy if I were suffering, right? But if I'm not suffering, I'm not sure why I would automatically seek out a medication. That seems kind of weird to me. Like, like I'm not going to go get chemo because I don't have cancer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I don't understand why you think I need hormone replacement therapy when I'm not experiencing any things. And she was like, well, naturally you're going to lose bone density. And so you need to replace these hormones. And I was like, but if my hormone levels aren't low, I don't need to replace them. And bone density and osteoporosis are not necessarily just hormone related or menopausal. It's an aging thing that has, you know, you can fix that with 
making your bone density thicker and stronger by doing plyometric exercise and keeping, you know, good muscle mass. So anyway, it's really hard to test your hormones because even if you do get tested, remember that is one moment in time and our hormones are constantly fluctuating, especially if you still have a cycle. It will be hard to test because they're at various stages of your cycle. And of course, we know that and we can factor that in. But remember that any blood work is a moment in time and it doesn't necessarily capture the whole picture as much as sometimes the medical field makes it seem. I would say that in general, you want to feel good. Like if you feel really good and you don't, you know, have fatigue or brain fog or unexplainable weight gain, or you're losing your hair or your skin is drying out. Like these are things that could be factors in an imbalance in your hormones, sleep, just everything. If you don't feel optimum most of the time, we all have our, our down days, then you might look into, are my hormones balanced? So again, for me, I feel great all the time. You know, I will, of course, I'm prone to viruses and colds like anybody else. I'm going to catch those sicknesses that come through and hopefully I'm going to weather them better than most. But I'm talking about foundational wellness, right? Like metabolic wellness. So when we talk about balancing hormones, again, we tend to think of those sexual reproductive hormones or maybe even thyroid. Sometimes that comes into play, hyper or hypo. But we forget about the other ones. And so I kind of wanted to go over those so that we know. And since I led this podcast with sleep, melatonin is a big one. Melatonin is a hormone and it is responsible for the wake sleep cycle. It helps with the circadian rhythm and it's very misunderstood. And a lot of people take external melatonin to help them sleep. And that can be okay in a pinch if you're having some insomnia, but you don't want to regularly take melatonin because you're going to mess with the whole balance of your naturally producing melatonin. Now, melatonin is usually released as the sun sets because it is timed with the 24-hour cycle. It's timed with you know your wake-sleep cycle and your circadian rhythm. And I maintain this is with our children too, that what happens, like particularly now in the winter time, the sun goes down at 4.30. I am so susceptible to melatonin I am ready for bed. Literally, I am ready for bed at 4.30. I have to keep myself awake because I can't go to bed at 4.30. (laughs) But what happens then is we naturally, we have overhead lights, we have fluorescent lighting, we keep our houses well lit. So then we mess with that melatonin cycle. It doesn't release. And then when we need it to release, it's not. And so a lot of times that's what's happening with our children and night training plays into that. But it also, when we can't fall asleep, or you feel like your circadian rhythm is off, or it's hard to go to sleep, and then you're groggy in the morning. So all of these are tied to melatonin. So that ties into blue light blockers. So you can get blue light blockers now really cheap. These are look like sunglasses. They're almost like clear glasses, and they block out the blue light from your computer and your phone. I know computers and iPhones anyway do have a setting where you can turn it dark or remove the blue light. And that's worth doing if you struggle, if you're having a hard time with sleep, you want to go to that sleep hygiene, you know, no digital things in your bedroom. Your bedroom should only be for sleeping, but you really want to watch that blue light later in the day. And even some light bulbs and overhead lighting have blue light in them. So that's something you want to be careful of that you're not getting too much blue light because it's going to screw with the melatonin and then you're not going to be able to get to sleep. And then more importantly, your circadian rhythm is going to be off. Now, of course, we aren't living by sunlight. We just, we can't, right? And especially me in New England in the winter, 
I, my start my day way before sunlight. I could not wait for the sun to come up. I would be so far behind. So I do use a full spectrum lamp and people have been asking me, I will link that in the show notes. I can't find the exact one I bought. I bought it a couple of years ago, but it almost looks like an iPad. It looks like a picture frame. It props up and you put it in front of your face. Like in the morning, I have my coffee, I journal, I plan my day. I go over organizational things and that is on my face so that I then stop my wake sleep cycle at, you know, 4.35 AM. And that's what allows me, I believe, to get up in the morning without an alarm clock. That's like my cycle. And then I am sure to get good sunlight when I go out as soon as the sun comes up and I go out with Maverick. And I have heard a lot of people say, yeah, but if you live in a place like Alaska where you don't get any sunlight, then you probably should get one of these full spectrum lights. But if you live in a place it's just dull because it's winter, you're still getting sunlight. So still get out, even though the sun may not be like the bright orb shining in your eye, it's still really beneficial to keep melatonin in balance. Before we go on, we have to say the king daddy of hormones is insulin. And the reason we need to talk about insulin is because it is the absolute top hormone. And again, if insulin is off, everything else starts to crumble. It just topples like dominoes. We know so much about insulin and this is, you know, like I talked about in the food episode, we are headed for a disaster. I just saw an article today that children as young as 12 are now being prescribed obesity medicine and surgery. It's recommended that children as young as 12 get obesity surgery. So we're in dire straits with type 2 diabetes and metabolic disease and metabolic unwellness. And that has to do with insulin and insulin resistant. And that is all diet related. So insulin resistant is basically when your cells get so full of insulin, they can't take anymore. And then the insulin has to go other places. It usually gets stored in your liver and then it's converted to subcutaneous body fat. And so that alone makes you so metabolically unwell. And there's just a cascade, (laughs) cascade of things that can go wrong. And this is all diet. And so insulin helps get the carbohydrate. It helps manage the carbohydrate and get that out of your bloodstream. And so Obviously, if you have too many carbohydrates, I know there's this like, you need carbs, you don't need carbs. I, you know, personally, I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates, but we don't need carbs. The brain needs glucose, but because the brain needs glucose, the body has found a way to make it. And so we have a process called gluconeogenesis, which will convert protein to glucose because the body is so finely designed that we would not, if the brain runs on glucose, we would never allow it to be in a situation where it couldn't get glucose. And we've, as we've evolved, of course, we've had massive times of famine. So the body will make that through a process called gluconeogenesis. But you want to keep your insulin in check. And that is your blood sugar. And again, what I'm learning more and more, remember hormones were only discovered in, I think, 1902. So it's a pretty rough, like we don't have all the information. Nobody's like a know-it-all on this. We're kind of discovering as we go. And I have found out from women before me that endocrinology, like there's very few endocrinologists, even in the US that really know how to handle menopause if a woman is suffering and her hormones are out of balance. So it's worth noting that I don't think anybody has the definitive answers on these things yet, but we do know that Insulin resistance is caused by overeating carbohydrates. So just be aware of that. And I think managing your blood sugar and your insulin is key. And we used to think that was only something for diabetes, but I don't know if you remember the numbers I quoted. I think one in three people have prediabetes right now. 
or nine out of 10 have prediabetes and something like seven of them don't even know it. So now they have these really cool things. I'm thinking of getting one. It's called a continuous glucose monitor. And that used to be only for monitoring diabetes. But what we're learning is like, shit, if we could manage this before you get diabetes, wouldn't that be great? Like if you could know what your blood sugar was doing. And so these blood glucose monitors, they're continuous and it's a feedback loop on our app. And you can learn what is shaking your blood sugar. And it can be food. It could be stress. It can be lack of sleep. All these things affect your hormones and your blood sugar. So as time goes on, though, we're recognizing that your blood sugar staying stable is the best predictor of healthy aging, and that is metabolic health. You want that. I was thinking of getting a blood glucose monitor just out of interest, but also I would just be interested in the in the data. But I also don't necessarily think I need it because I don't experience crashes. I think this would be really key if you experience, if you claim to be hypoglycemic, you need one of these because you need to fix that. That is totally fixable. That's not a, a dead-end diagnosis. If you are hangry, if you get shaky between meals, if you always have to have a snack in your purse, that is not normal and that should be fixed because that means your blood sugar is all over the place. And one of the things I work with with clients is we really work on blood sugar with kids because so much of the behavior we're seeing these days with our kids is literally blood glucose crashes. We know fruit, fruit is good for you. Fruit is healthy, right? But we've taken that to the end result. And I have kids eating cups and cups and cups of fruit a day. It's still sugar. Yes, it's slowed down going into the bloodstream by the fiber in fruit, but it's still sugar. And so we have to look at these things because again, maybe it's not doing too much damage to you now, but my interest is in like helping you guys age well, because trust me, you want to age well. <laughs> I'm having a blast. I'm having a blast at my age and aging well. <laughs> so anyway, insulin is key. The next one I want to talk about is a cortisol and adrenaline. And people tend not to think of these things, but these are hormones. And the reason I bring these up is because as parents, I think cortisol is a stress hormone. And when you get overloaded with cortisol and that is out of balance, you tend to gain weight in your belly. So you will see that. Like if, or maybe you notice when you get stressed, you might gain some weight in your trunk area. That's where it's stored. And that contributes to that visceral fat I talked about in my food episode where you can have this fat around your organs and that's really dangerous. That's what contributes to chronic disease, metabolic disease, but also heart disease and the breaking down of your internal organs. So, and that has nothing to do with your subcutaneous fat, like the visible fat, I guess, or the fat you can grab on your body. Marathon runners can have high visceral fat. It's very tricky. So yeah, that's cortisol. And then that is even though marathon runners tend not to obviously put on weight in the middle, that stress is what causes that visceral fat to form that cortisol. So you want to keep your stress levels really level. And then that ties into your adrenaline or epinephrine, right? And adrenaline is actually a hormone too. And I bring this up because I think sometimes, especially with kids, we get ourselves so wound up. A lot of times just the nature of having kids in like that year, I call 18 months to uh, 30 months, like active suicide. It's like they're, they're looking to find a stairway or a cliff to walk off, right? So very often our cortisol and our adrenaline is through the roof because our kids are doing something like super sketchy. And we're like, oh my God, you're going to die. One thing I'm noticing about adrenaline and cortisol is since I moved to the woods, I don't release it the way I used to because I'm not in a city. I'm not in a crowded place where there are like, 
near-death experiences when you're driving or somebody just yells at you on the street or your neighbors are being crummy. There's like all these stressors when you live closer together that contribute. So obviously not everybody can move to the woods. What I'm keenly aware of now, because I the streets that I live on are almost always empty. I don't even experience traffic. And when I drove Pascal and his friend into Boston, I thought I was going to die of the cortisol and then the adrenaline. It was so intense because the driving was so intense. And I was like, oh my God, I have lived with that stress my whole life. So I'm just bringing your awareness to it. Of course, if you live in a city, you can't probably just move tomorrow, but it's something to think about to manage. Maybe you need more meditation than the average person or some tools to keep that level. One thing I will say for the adrenaline, that's why I took up cold plunging and sauna. And those help, I think, a lot with the cortisol. Sauna helps with everything, but it helps with the cortisol and adrenaline. And with the cold plunging, I started to learn Wim Hof. He's called the Iceman. If you don't know him, he's fascinating. You can Google him. He has found a breathing technique that allows him to He's climbed Mount Everest in shorts and barefoot, and he has never suffered frostbite. Like he's been on talk shows. He's, he's crazy, but he's got this breathing pattern that allows you to control your adrenaline so that when you are in cold water, you don't feel that like, <gasps> right? And that panic, his breathing teaches you to get that under control. So now when I cold plunge, I'm very quiet. My breathing stays normal. My heart rate very rarely goes up. And so I use that as a practice for controlling my adrenaline. And I have realized over the years, certainly moving to the woods helps, but that I am able to regulate myself in these high pressure situations, whatever it is, a near accident, a deer almost hits my car. The other day, a cop drove up my driveway, which has never, ever happened. And Pascal was out in the car. And I thought I was going to die because of course, he's just got his license. He's not here. And a cop shows up and I was like, Oh my God. And I was so scared. I was like, literally started to cry before I even got out of the house. (laughs) They were actually looking for two lost dogs. (laughs) It wasn't about Pascal, but I was able to bring myself back to even very, very quickly using this breathing. So managing your adrenaline and your cortisol is really key as well. And then the last two that I wanted to talk about were ghrelin and leptin. And these are your respectively ghrelin is hunger and leptin is full. Those are your full and hunger signaling hormones. And I bring these up because again, in my food episode, these are easily thrown out of whack if you've had any eating disorder, obviously, but also if you are chronically eating hyperpalatable foods, these, you know, a lot of junk food or just really processed food, any packaged processed food, these are going to be thrown out of whack. And then you will not necessarily recognize true hunger and you will not necessarily recognize true fullness. And so we should always be like comfortably full and hunger should never be urgent. You should never be like, oh my God, I have to die. I mean, unless you fasted for like a week, but you shouldn't be fasting for a week. Well, some people maybe, but I don't like extended fasting. I say that because from experience, those are probably the hormones that I'm the happiest I have learned to balance through my eating and my training. Because, you know, I shared my first dissociative eating episode way back when I was like in fourth grade. And for years, I think that was just those two hormones were wildly unbalanced and I couldn't feel, I didn't know true hunger, nor did I know fullness. And that is, I have 
experimented with intermittent fasting and I loved it because I really got a sense of like, oh, so intermittent fasting, just light intermittent fasting, like 16 hours, you know, with maybe an eight hour eating window can be very beneficial for a lot of people in balancing those hormones and really getting back to a baseline of, am I hungry and am I full? And that's helpful just so overeating can just feel uncomfortable, but also it's taxing the insulin and, you know, you can get insulin resistant. And usually when we overeat or don't recognize our hunger hormones, we tend to reach for shitty food. Like, like I had said in that episode, I don't think anybody's like, Nobody overeats chicken breast and broccoli, you know, it's Pop-Tarts and ice cream. (laughs) And then again, that contributes to the metabolic disease. So anyway, I wanted to touch on those because I think it's just one of those things that people aren't even sure what they're talking about when they're talking about balanced hormones. And again, if you feel like you're in great health, I don't think it's anything that needs to be addressed as long as you're aware of these and managing these. It's when we start feeling not our best, fatigued, brain fog. Those are the things I hear the most from women. I think mom brain is not a joke. I think, yes, we're underslept and that has something to do with it. But I also think those first two years, you know, postpartum and postpartum counts that long that your hormones are just kind of out of whack. I remember when Pascal was four months, that's typically when you start to lose a lot of hair. Literally, I felt like there was a chemistry experiment going on in my body. I could feel all the hormones. (laughs) It was crazy. Like I could feel them almost adjusting, you know? Okay. Now I'm going to do a whole episode on like planners and digital uncluttering and habits and goals. That's going to be my next episode. But I wanted to close you with this awesome thing that I have been doing. And it has to do, I think, with managing stress, managing hormones and managing our sleep and melatonin and all of that and our circadian rhythms. And it has to do with like digital management, And I'm reading this book. There's a couple of books that I'm going to be referencing. One is Atomic Habits by James Clear and one is Indistractable. And I am reading Indistractable right now, so I'm not done, but I freaking love it. It is how to not be distracted. (laughs) And the guy who wrote it, interestingly enough, the guy who wrote it wrote the book Hooked, which is a mainstay at all the big tech companies. So he wrote the book on how to capture our attention and the weaknesses in human psychology and our patterns that make us so susceptible to being distracted and to pressing the right buttons and not getting off our smartphone. (laughs) And so it's a fantastic book. I'll be dissecting more of it. But one of the things I had learned this a few years ago with email management is to touch everything once, touch it once. T-I-O, yeah, touch it once. Don't open your email unless you're ready to deal with answering emails. And then when you open your email, you touch it once. If it needs a reply, you reply then. Don't just leave it because that's how we start getting cluttered. And a lot of times you can make folders. I'm a folder queen. I like my inbox at zero. (laughs) But what he said, this was so interesting to me. And it's been the biggest change that has helped my life. It's improved my life by, by miles. Have a folder called Urgent today, have a folder called urgent this week. And then I added a folder to read, not urgent, just to read. And so when I open my inbox, a lot of times I have to go into my email, both business and personal, because I have to make sure there are no fires. I have to make sure, you know, there was no fraud on my accounts. You know, my website still works. I have to make sure there are no fires. I like to do that first thing in the morning, but I don't always want to waste the time on replying. And so those three folders, I'll often get an article or a blog post or newsletter that I want to read, but not right yet. 
and I put that in the to read. And then I know that there are things. So just the other day, for example, I had a couple of subscriptions that were renewing yearly. And of course, in that time, I've had fraud on my cards. I've gotten a new card. So the payments weren't processed. That needed to be attended to today, but I didn't want to wreck my morning flow by attending to that today, getting out my wallet, which would be another distraction because I'd probably clean out my purse and clean out my wallet, (laughs) right? And didn't want to open my phone to find the passwords because then I'd be opening my phone and that'd be another distraction and I'd open Instagram. So I just put that in the urgent today. And I was going to get to that later when things weren't pressing or I didn't want to wreck my morning flow. And then there were other things that needed replies, but not necessarily today. And you put those in urgent for this week. And one of the things that he said is that you have to really delineate. You teach people how to respond. And I know this as a business person. If you send me an email, I cannot reply to you right away because you think I'm replying in real time and you're going to keep coming at me. So the minute you reply to an email you have invited the person to now reply to you. So if you want less emails, you reply less often. And I was like, of course, that makes sense, right? Or maybe you reply at the end of the day, so then that person might reply tomorrow morning. So you truncate, I mean, you not truncate, you elongate the responses, right? And that makes a lot of sense to me because you do want to sometimes slow down. Sometimes I'll get caught in this like email back and forth, back and forth, and it ends up being in real time and it sucks up an hour and it wrecks my flow. So those things go into, you know, urgent this week. And those three folders, you guys have changed my life. And maybe email management isn't a big deal for you. It's not a terribly big deal for me, except that I can make sure there are no fires to put out and I don't have to stop my flow of the morning. Because for me, I get up early and I love that flow. And then as soon as like 9.30 hits and the rest of the world wakes up, it's fucked. I'm like, it's done. I can't, (laughs) I I, I give into, you know, then I'm on calls with clients. It's just that it's a nonstop treadmill. So I really appreciate that morning flow and don't want to interrupt it. So I wanted to share those three folders with you in case you find that helpful as well. All right. I am going to log off. If you have any questions, comments, love to hear them. As always, you guys, I super appreciate you. I thank you so much for listening. And just like the last podcast, I I feel, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the new year. I just feel this swell of love for you all for listening, supporting for the community we're creating for the new paradigm we're all creating. I just love it. All right. As always, rock on. Okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.